Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Rudner. Jacob, we've had a chance now after spring ball has concluded to see the team in full. No more limited window viewing. Uh, so we got a chance to see the entire spring game last night. Obviously, I think we have to start by talking about Anthony Richardson. I think he stole the show last night. We've been pretty frank on this podcast about what we've seen in those limited viewing windows. And frankly, it was inconsistency as a passer. Pretty much erased those concerns last night, I would say. Yeah, there's no doubt that he erased those concerns. I do want to say one thing, though. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of commenting that you and I need to walk back our comments or take that stuff back or that we were wrong. I mean, that's not the case. Uh, We explicitly said on the podcast, we've said it in our reporting, we've said it on our message board that those are our observations from a brief 15 minute window. So we watch Anthony Richardson for about 15 minutes three times a week in practice sessions. And what we did see was inaccuracy. And one of the things that you and I talked about specifically on this podcast was it's going to be interesting to see how he performs when the lights are on and when there are fans in the stands. And I think that that was critical. And last night we saw him deliver in that exact situation. There were lights on, there were fans in the stands, 45,000 of them, according to the team. And he performed exceptionally well, 18 of 24 passing, just over 200 uh, passing yards two passing touchdowns. He ran quite well last night, also running for a score. Uh, He looked phenomenal. There's no question about it. And again, it doesn't mean that what we talked about with regard to his spring practice performance is wrong. It's just that when we watched him in full and we were able to see him in a game-like scenario, like we talked about, it was significantly different than what we saw in a limited window in which we just simply reported what we saw. So it was an amazing night for Anthony Richardson. It's got to give Billy Napier a ton of confidence to be able to see that from his quarterback to just absolutely level the first team defense. On the flip side, the defense did get obliterated by the quarterback. Uh, Offense clearly won the night between the two first teams. That being said, definite confidence booster from an offensive perspective. And still, I will reiterate one more time, I don't think you and I were wrong. It's just that the uh, situation developed and the situation changed. Let me ask you this. What were you most impressed by with Richardson's performance? Because l- l- let's break down sort of why we were so impressed. I mean, the numbers obviously speak for themselves, but to me, there were certain elements that you were like, oh, that's what they're doing with him. Yeah, it was the quick decision making for me. It was the way that he distributed the ball to receivers fast. He went through his reads. It was not the first read every single time. There were several throws last night that were to read two and even one throw to read three, if I remember correctly. And I'm, I haven't yet rewatched the game. 
So this is just off of my having seen it one time live in person, uh, notes I took, reaction to it. So I, I could be wrong. Let me just preface that with, with that. But uh, it, I, I do know that it was not all first read throws. And when he did have to go through the progression, it was fast. He went through, he assessed his options. There was little hesitation and he distributed the ball decisively to his receivers with accuracy, which I think was a big thing that you and I were talking about. And he made sure that the ball was put into a tight window for his receivers to make it catchable. Uh, that was really impressive to me. I would just say in general, though, beyond the speed of the decision-making, the decision-making was really promising in general. I think that he did a good job of just assessing the field, not throwing any jeopardy balls, really putting in into safe situations consistently. Uh, and he didn't overly rely on his legs. And now, granted, that could be by design because they don't hit the quarterbacks in a spring game. Right. So they might have told them, you know, let's not run. Let's, you know, use that sparingly. Uh, but, but for what we did see and what we know, uh, it was a good performance in terms of using the balance of running when he needed to and being able to deliver the ball through the air when it was there. Yeah, I, I made the same mistake. I, I uh, You know, with the game being streaming only, I had hoped to rewatch it. Uh, couldn't find it on demand on ESPN or SEC Network Plus. So I'll preface this with I haven't had a chance to rewatch the game either. Uh, had hoped to have more thoughts on sort of individual performances in the trenches, but I've got the game recording now off YouTube TV, so I will rewatch that and post some thoughts at a later point. But I thought the thing that stood out to me last night with, with Richardson and really the way the whole first team offense operated, we saw a lot more tempo. Florida really hasn't been a big tempo team over the years. We saw a little bit of it when Jim McElwain came in and they tried to do it. And obviously things bogged down after he lost Will Greer. But I thought Florida running sort of more up tempo really played into Anthony Richardson's strengths because it allowed him to go out there and make those quick decisions like you're talking about. I thought he got the ball out effectively. Um, and, and really, when you're playing with that quick tempo, sometimes it can lessen the amount of overthinking you do from the quarterback position. And I think for Richardson, especially, that that's going to be a big factor. Uh, one of the things you talked about during the game last night when we were sitting watching in the press box was how comfortable he looked operating within the pocket which I thought was very evident. It wasn't, it wasn't just bootlegs and rollouts where he had his success, and he had a lot of success on those, and those are going to be a huge part of the offense. But I thought when you know he did sit in the pocket and, and he had a good pocket for most of the night, credit to the first-team offensive line, he really, like you said, was able to get past his first read, make smart decisions. I mean, I, I'm thinking back on it, again, before rewatching. I can't really think of any throws where I thought, ooh, that was a risky throw. And, you know, from Jack Miller, we saw a lot more of those. Um, you know, obviously the one that got picked off in the end zone by Donovan McMillan. But there were two or three other ones where you kind of saw him stare down the read and throw it into traffic. And we didn't see that with Anthony last night. Now, again, no. spring games, just it's a small sample size. That's only one game. And as you go through the course of an SEC season, you know, teams are going to get more tape on you. And, and that's where the continued development has to happen because they will find the weaknesses and start to exploit them. Um, so I, I think there's still plenty of work to be done, but Jacob, I, it's totally clear at this point, there is no quarterback controversy. There's no quarterback competition. It's Anthony Richardson. And I would say even then everybody else, I'm not sure Jack Miller did a whole lot last night to really cement himself as like a clear cut number two. Oddly, I think he remains uh, among the people in the room. And I, that's an important phrase right there among the options. Uh, I do think that Miller remains the clear number two of who's here. Right. Um, I think that his performance last night was really disheartening, though. Uh, a lot of jeopardy balls, poor decisions, 
uh, overly reliant on his first read. He, he threw the ball 11 times to Frazier's last night, uh, which is just, I mean, it's way, way too much, especially against the second team defense, which Billy Napier has not shied away from saying is lacking depth. I mean, right. he has talked about it ad nauseum that, that this team lacked depth all around, but he's pointed to spots like the defensive line where there might not have been as much pressure on Jack Miller last night. He's pointed to safeties. He's pointed to, you know, defensive backs in general, inside linebacker he's talked about. Uh, and the depth issues that he is speaking of are the players that Jack Miller went up against last night. And but, also, was, but also some of the players that he was playing with, in fairness. No, there, there, there's no, yeah, no, 100%. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. That, that is also a factor. But you would have liked to have seen him, you know, make a second read and not target one receiver double-digit times in three quarters of play or not throw a ball into the end zone into triple coverage that got intercepted. And by the way, it wasn't even particularly close to the receiver. So forget that there were three defenders there. It wasn't he like also that had one... A, he had a route coming open on the opposite side of the right, field. Right, that was, that was what I was about to yeah. say. It was, there was an easier, more open throw that he did not take. So um, it was, it, it, you know, just, just to put, there's no reason to harp on it. It was a really bad performance. Statistically, I can give it to you 13 of 23 121 yards and an interception. Uh, but again, you know, you look at the rest of the quarterbacks, Jalen Kitna played, Car uh, Carlos Del Rio Wilson played, and they were a combined 0 for 5 of the pick. So again, uh, I don't know that Miller, uh, I don't know that Miller did anything to help himself, but I also don't know that uh, anybody else did either. And for that reason alone, I think Miller probably remains the number two. Yeah. That being said, I'm not surprised if they look for a transfer quarterback. Yeah, I, and that's where I was going to ask you. I want to go back, uh, you know, in a minute or two to the receivers that he had to work with and the, the fact that he targeted Frazier's 11 times. But first off, let's talk about whether or not Florida should take a transfer quarterback. Because we had that discussion early in the spring, and I sort of brought it up as, you know, maybe they go after sort of an experienced backup type we, I think, if I recall correctly, both sort of landed on, and I'm not sure they can afford that with the scholarships that they have. Has your thinking changed on that? Yeah, it has. There's no doubt about it. And I posted about it on our, our message board yesterday. So it's, it's out there in writing, and I have no problem admitting it on our podcast. Uh, I was wrong when I said early on in spring camp that Jack Miller looked like a clear-cut, uh, satisfactory backup quarterback. Just based alone off of what we saw last night, I, I don't know that the team can really go into the next several months confident that he is that. Um, I do think that at a minimum, and I'm not saying that they're going to take a quarterback or find one, mm -hmm. at a minimum, they need to look hard. Yeah. Um, I, I think that they are in a situation where they would be benefited by bringing somebody experienced into the room who understands Florida's quarterback situation, so they're not expecting to you know, take over for Anthony Richardson. There's no expectations of you know, depth chart mobility to number one, but you can come in and become a clear number two quarterback uh, with a wide open competition for that spot. I think that that at this point, based on what we've seen, is a very reasonable, uh, a very reasonable search. I also think that it would benefit Florida greatly if one of their younger quarterbacks under Miller transfers out of the program. And I'm not saying that I've heard that. Uh, I'm not even calling it likely. But I am saying that if it were to happen, it probably would be a welcomed uh, development for the team. It would free up that scholarship, like you mentioned, being a concern. and It would really just allow them to pretty much unabated go after somebody that they can add to that room with a little more experience. Yeah, I, I don't think that would be surprising at this point. I mean, like we said, just from a numbers standpoint, Florida's going to have some attrition in that room, I would think, would be a pretty likely candidate. I'm with you. I think 
I do think it's important not to overreact to to one sample size of the spring game. I, you know, I, would I be comfortable with Jack Miller if Anthony Richardson goes down in, in game one? No, I can't say that at all. Um, but I do think there's probably another element to the discussion of, like we talked about, limited depth. I thought the second team defensive line really made life difficult on Jack Miller because the second team O-line didn't really hold its own. And then I thought, you know, to the point of him targeting Jaquavian Frazier's 11 times, there's not a whole lot of receiver depth. And I think everybody watching that game last night probably came away feeling great about Anthony Richardson, feeling really pretty good about the running backs. And a couple receivers, Trent Whittemore, Justin Shorter, maybe Xavier Henderson. Again, the guys we talked about in spring that you can count on to start, but maybe aren't necessarily going to be stars. Can you get some guys in there through the transfer portal such that, you know, some of those guys like maybe Xavier Henderson are your four or five and you have a true go-to playmaker? I think that's going to be an important focus for Florida in the transfer portal. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I I think that one of the things, and and let me just go back because you do bring up a good point. I'm not suggesting that he had the options from a skill standpoint, a talent standpoint to target more than just Frazier's Jack Miller. But I think it would have been nice to see him make an attempt. Oh yeah, uh, no, we're and, in agreement I, there. Yeah, no, I'm I'm more talking about the style of the play, what happened, and the fact that it looked very limited to the first read. That was more what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he had options from a talent perspective. 100, I'm with you. Um, I I do think that the depth at receiver is going to be something that gets looked at uh, transfer portal wise by this team. And we've reported on that too. Um, and and again, I should reiterate that the coaching staff has not really shied away from its needs at this point. Yeah. I mean, Billy Napier has laid it out there pretty clearly that a, he feels the depth is lacking B he's even named position groups where he feels like it's lacking. Uh, and I think wide receiver falls under that category after the second scrimmage, he pretty explicitly said that that room is a representation of the whole team uh, in that it lacks depth and needs supplementation over the next several months. So yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, the one position group that there's a little bit of a discussion about on our message board on swamp 247.com uh, is tight end. Uh, what, what, what does Florida do at tight end? Because Dante Xanders looked fantastic last night. Um, he led, the, he led the game in, in receiving yards with 56, uh, and Noah Keeter, a walk-on former linebacker was tied for second with 53 receiving yards and a touchdown. I'm not suggesting that those guys are talent wise. What you want to go into a season with is your number two and maybe number three tight ends. And granted, they're going to get Elksness and Odom back uh, at some point in the next several weeks. But in your opinion, I guess I'll throw the question to you. Do you add uh, one more tight end from a talent perspective to give yourself one more person going into the season? Yes, but it's got to be somebody that is better than... It's got to be a number one for me. I I don't think... And and I know how important the tight ends are to Billy Napier's offense, but I don't think you take a guy that's going to be, you know, sort of on that tier two level. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Florida can absolutely use another guy there. Um, but I think that Dante Xanders showed enough this spring that if you have Keon Zipper, Xanders, and Elksness all in the mix, you know, I, I don't think you add another guy that's like that level. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, from I a number standpoint. I, it's it's got to be somebody that can come in and be your starter from day one, like a, like a Jake McGee for Florida in 2014. Uh, someone on that type, maybe a veteran guy that you know will be able to pick up the offense very quickly because it's going to be important. I mean, there's a lot on the tight ends in this offense. So I think it needs to be a veteran that can pick it up quickly if you're going to take one. Uh, I do. I'm encouraged by the development that we saw at that group for for all of the 
talk maybe on message boards about, you know, can William Piegler coach tight ends after he coached running backs at, at Michigan State? I, I mean, you coach up a couple of defensive guys over the course of 14, 15 practices, and they look that good. I, I would say that speaks to his coaching ability. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd look to add there. Um, but, you know, is it as much of a priority as we thought, you know, five practices in when they were no. they were down to those guys flipping over immediately? No, I think I think there was a lot of good development there. Well, you and I had talked about it. I mean, there was a point where we thought or, or we really knew from our sources, we had heard that they were looking to potentially add two tight ends right. to that room, despite having what was going to end up being seven scholarship players, technically, uh, or actually six, Keeter's a walk-on. So six scholarship players, including the three freshmen that are coming over the summer. Uh, that's a huge number. Um, but I still, yeah, I would agree with you. I think that the, the target is somebody who's going to come in and be a starter. Uh, when you go to an 11 personnel, look, it's the guy that you want on the field. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree with you. I, I think that one tight end uh, of, a, of an upper echelon category is probably what you're looking for at this point if you're Florida. All right. Well, Jacob, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back on the other side of this ad break, we will talk about the trenches on both sides. We'll talk about defense and then we'll hand out some sort of spring superlatives from what we've seen, uh, not just in the spring game, but over the course of spring, what we've heard from sources, guys that maybe stood out to us over the course of the last month. Right after this break. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Rudner. 
Jacob, we've been talking about Florida's spring game. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I haven't had a chance to rewatch it yet, which is unfortunate because, you know, I really like to, before I comment on anything in the trenches, I usually like to rewatch that because that's something that, you know, we're all following the ball, following the action when you're watching live. And aside from a few plays, usually there's not a whole lot that sticks out about O-line or D-line play to me. Um, But general impression from me last night was that first team D-line wasn't quite as impactful as I would have thought. But the flip side is the depth that we were concerned about on the D-line. I thought there were a lot of younger guys on that second team unit that had individually impressive nights in the sense that, okay, I can see these guys developing. Maybe they're not ready to be, you know, starters right now, but I saw a lot of guys that with another year or so maybe could be impact players. Which of the guys on the second team D-line stood out the most to you? Off the top of my head, it's hard because again, I, I kind of go back to the same thing you do where it's like, it's, it's hard to single out guys individually without having watched it back. And I'll add that, uh, last night during the game, uh, I was posting our, a play by play on our live updates on the site. So it was a little bit difficult for me to get individual performances in that respect, just because it was hard to watch. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to change up your question on the fly here. And rather than give you second team guys, I'm going to give you a couple of standouts just in general on the sure. defensive side, just guys that immediately pop into my mind. And I'll give you, you know, one in particular to start, uh, Lloyd Summerall was fantastic last night. Uh, he was all over the field. He was cutting across the line to make tackles with running backs uh, on, on plays that were outside the tackles on the opposite side of the field that he was lining up on. Uh, he was aggressive. He was disruptive. He was in the backfield. He was in the quarterback's face. Uh, I liked what I saw from him a lot last night. And it goes along with what you and I had been hearing throughout the spring in that he was a guy who has the physical tools and the developing talent to be a serious contributor. And I think we got a really good look at that last night in general. Uh, and then the other guy, very easy pick for me is Javon Dexter. Uh, had at least one sack last night. And granted, it's hard to know uh, exactly how many sacks he really would have had because yeah. they're not tackling the it's quarterbacks. Right. And, and so they, they officially gave him one, I believe. Uh, and it looked like if it was a real game, he might have gotten two. Uh, regardless, I thought he looked really good. Uh, also disruptive, gave, gave the team problems. First team offensive line had a hard time handling him. So those, those are my two uh, broad strokes immediately pop into my mind, guys, which is an easier way to answer your question, yeah. having not rewatched it. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, well, I think that general. I think one of the things we were both disappointed by and, and we talked about in the press box was that we didn't get to see Antoine Powell Ryland. Um, yeah. He was a guy that, you know, had really been raved about throughout the spring as, as sort of the backup to Brenton Cox off the edge. And, uh, you know, he had an injury that kept him out of the game. So having said that, you know, when you're talking about like Lloyd Summerall having a really good game, I thought Tyreek Sapp is a guy that physically really looks the part. He had that forced fumble on Demarcus Bowman where he split the line and and sort of, uh, you know, got his hands in there at the point of attack. Really good night from him, I thought. Jalen Lee, maybe not as as productive on the stat sheet, but I thought at least on that first drive where I was really sort of focusing on him, he had a couple really nice plays in the run game. He's kind of the guy that I would have thought would have paired with Javon Dexter as the other starting tackle based on what I've heard throughout the spring. So it was interesting to see Florida have Desmond Watson on that first team. You know, he's obviously a guy that needs some conditioning work and and they'll focus on that in the offseason. But I think the depth on the D-line is there. I think the the question is sort of like at tight end, you know, if you're going to take a transfer portal guy, make sure it's a guy who can come in and start and then sort of give those younger guys that we're talking about a little bit more time to develop without feeling the full pressure of like 
we need you to start and produce right away. And obviously, Florida's looking at some guys in the portal already. Yeah. Um, Chris well, McClellan. They had one person. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that they, they had somebody who's a, a major target on campus last night, Daryl Jackson from mm-hmm. Maryland. Uh, super productive freshman. Well, I'm not going to say super productive, but productive freshman uh, at Maryland last year. Bigger guy. Uh, profiles physically very similarly to Javon Dexter, and you can actually go look at that for yourself. Uh, he posted a picture of the two of them together. Uh, just kind of like, what, what, oh, imagine what this could be kind of a thing. And, you know, if you think about it, I'm imagining it would be pretty, uh, pretty intense for an opposing offensive line. Those are two big dudes. Uh, and Javon Dexter is a physically imposing kind of physical specimen for his position. And, uh, you know, Jackson looked pretty similar. Uh, so that was a good development. He told uh, our recruiting analyst, Blake Alderman, he told him last night that uh, Florida's his leader at the moment, although he still needs to take other visits before he really makes a decision. Uh, and is is projecting that he will announce where he's headed on May 15th. Uh, that would be a great ad for that room if they can make that happen. That's a guy with three years of eligibility, uh, you know, looked good for Maryland last year in somewhat limited playing time. He did play in all their games, I believe, but I don't know that he was on the field all that much. Uh, and so, yeah, to your point, I think that they need to add a contributor in that room, and that's probably a guy that, that could do that. Yeah, I think he would obviously be a big addition, and he seems like he's he's pretty high on Florida at the moment. Any other defensive takeaways before we sort of move into the superlatives? Because, it, you know, the first team defense did have a rough go of it. I, I will say I think they were limited in what they were doing schematically. Uh, yeah. I didn't see a whole lot of uh, sort of disguise blitzing or, you know, things that would make life difficult on the quarterback, which we fully expect them to do when they're really running the full the full defense next year. But uh, what stood out to you defensively? Um. I will give uh, direct shout-outs to two cornerbacks. I thought Jalen Kimber and Jordan Young uh, played particularly well last night. Uh, Kimber had an interception. Young was kind of all over the place, uh, just kind of being disruptive. I don't know that he was actually credited with a pass breakup last night off the top of my head. Yeah, he had the fourth and four on a slant. I don't know if they credited him with it, but he definitely definitely broke so up the I, pass. I, I was gonna, I, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that statistically, I don't know that you're going to see that he got a pass breakup. I haven't checked the updated stats yet, uh, but he definitely should have been if he didn't get uh, a pass breakup on the stats, if you're just looking at the, the box score. To understand what happened last night, uh, he was far better than I think his numbers are going to indicate just because the stat keeping is kind of all over the place in the spring game. Uh, but he looked really good. Um, and I would say somewhat generally that there were some solid moments uh, for the secondary on, on first and second team last night. Obviously, giving up 34 points is, is pretty uh, overwhelming. But I would say that there were individuals who played quite well, and there weren't a ton of glaring coverage busts. I didn't there were really a couple. see any, yeah. There were there, a couple. So, yeah, there, there were a couple. Um, Keon Zipper, I believe. Oh, you're right. Yep, that was a really nice play design. Yeah, where he was he was wide open, I think like 20 or so yards down the field. So that was, a, that was an explosive play uh, in which there was a coverage bust. Other than that, though, there were really no glaring secondary issues. It was a lot of like chipping away style offense where it was a lot of plays over a long time that ended up ending, you know, netting a score. Uh, goal line defense, I think, is probably something that needs to be focused on pretty significantly as the season gets going. Um, there were a couple nice stops when the blue team was on the one-yard line. They, they held Lorenzo Lingard out of the end zone, ended up Montreal Johnson on third down. He scored from the one. Um, so that was good. The touchdown to Noah Keeter on that play-action rollout where it was kind of just a dump-off, 
you probably need to have that covered, you know, especially in SEC games. If it gets tight uh, down in the red zone, teams are going to eat you alive that way if that's actually going to be a problem. Uh, but again, how much can you really take away from one spring game? I don't know. Uh, those are the those are my general kind of observations. I think there were some some solid secondary play, and you know the goal line defense last night probably needs some cleanup. Yeah, I'm with you. We definitely didn't see as many coverage plus as I would have expected, and and I wrote about that in one of the things I was looking for in the spring game was I thought Jack Miller could have a big day because I thought the second team defense would kind of be all over the place, and that really didn't happen. I mean, like you said, the one the one corner route to Zipper where they obviously blew the coverage. Uh, that's the only real one I can think of off the top of my head. And like you said, there were a lot of individual performances, I thought, in the secondary that were pretty good. Jordan Young's a guy that, look, I talked to sources last year going into fall, like in fall camp, and they were raving about him as a, a young guy that could play nickelback and, and really get in your face and be physical. And we saw that. He had two open field tackles where he absolutely leveled a guy in space. And that's something that I think is going to earn you playing time real quick with this staff because if if they watch the film, and they have from last year. They saw that tackling was a major, major issue for Florida. Yeah. So I thought he was a guy. And, and the other thing is, Jacob, he was working at outside cornerback for most of the spring and then actually shifted to nickelback last night because there That's were right. some injuries. Trevez Johnson didn't play. And then, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if Kamar got banged up at one point, uh, Kamar Wilcoxon or not, um, but it seemed like Jordan Young got a, a good deal of snaps at that nickelback spot. So, you know, I think he's a guy that can play sort of all over in the secondary, and that that matters. Um, let's talk yeah. about let's talk about superlatives. Who were some of your biggest winners from the entirety of spring football? Okay, entirety of spring football, just based off what we heard, not necessarily actually what we saw last night. Lorenzo Lingard still comes away as a winner for me. Um, our sources have said repeatedly, and you know, I, I will rarely point to the reporting that other sites are doing, but I will in this instance because it sounds like it's pretty across the board here that everybody is hearing that Lorenzo Lingard has been explosive this spring and he's looked really good. Um, I, he didn't really get involved all that much last night. So you so were, was, real quick, you were you were helping Blake with recruiting during the post-game press conference. Billy Napier actually told us that he had a slight uh, muscle tweak. Oh, And that's why okay. he didn't play a whole lot. That would explain it. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't really get to see a whole bunch of him last night. Now I know why. Um, but but he, he is somebody who was a standout this spring from what we know. Dante Zanders is a clear winner uh, this spring based off what we heard, based off what we saw. And then uh, uh, my third is going to go to Anthony Richardson. Uh, you know, there were a lot of comments from us included just about accuracy problems in the observation windows of practices, not an issue at all last night. And my fourth and final before I toss it over to you is actually walk on kicker Adam Mihalik. I hope I did not butcher his last name right there. He was fantastic last night. Uh, knocked down a 52-yard field goal. If that was actually a game, it would have been tied for the longest since 2000. And he made a 48-yarder off the top of my head. I think it was 48 uh, at some point in the fourth quarter, about nine minutes left. So uh, that is a big win, especially because Chris Howard did not play well last night. And looks like Mihalik might put himself in a, in a situation where he uh, is the starting kicker. Yeah, and Florida needs it. And, and you know, it's funny. I, I was writing 10 instant takeaways and had, you know, kicking concerns being one of them. And, of course... Uh, he hit the 52-yarder, but then immediately kicked a, a you know the ensuing kickoff out of bounds. But I did forget to include that he made the the 48-yarder there. Uh, so my apologies to Adam on that instant takeaways piece. Uh, you did great, uh, good job. Um, I, I think one of the biggest winners for me of spring, and and this may be a cop out answer because everybody knows about him, but Javon Dexter, I thought really 
really from from talking to sources has emerged as a, a significant leader on defense i think from the standpoint of attitude and buy-in he is exactly the type of player who can really get other guys to buy in because of who he is his stature as a former five-star player obviously all the physical tools in the world but for him to be you know, as vocal as a leader in wanting to do things the right way, the way that Billy Napier and his staff are sort of urging guys to, to do and take accountability. I, I thought he had a tremendous spring. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, other guys, Juwan Black's probably one, I think, that, you know, linebacker we were a little bit concerned about. Ventrell Miller, obviously, is a guy that you can count on, and everybody saw last night. I mean, he makes such a big difference, especially in the run game. Had one r- ridiculous stop on the goal line right before Montreal, you know, sort of plunged in for his one-yard score. He, we knew he was going to be a big factor in the defense. The question was, who else could step up and emerge, you know, alongside him? And everything that we heard throughout the spring was that Dewan Black is doing that, you know, that he's an extremely instinctive player, which I think Florida has really lacked at linebacker over the last couple of years. And, and I've talked repeatedly on this podcast over the last really like two years about I thought Florida did itself a disservice under the previous coaching staff because they just didn't recruit many actual high school linebackers. And it's funny because I'm saying that, and Dewan obviously played in the secondary some too, uh, but he's that guy that has those instincts like a, like a Tyron Hopper did last year, whereas some of these other guys, Amari Bernie, uh, Mamou Diabate, who transferred out, I just never felt like they were you know, as instinctive as they were just pure athletes. And I think Dewan Black has a, has a great blend of that to where he can be a real difference maker. And I thought fans were able to see that for the first time last night. Yeah. Let me ask you, would you add Ventral Miller to your list of winners? Because he had a limited spring for, because of his class situation, which we, we've known about. But I think he performed well last night. Uh, and had a great second scrimmage. He, yeah. And, and great second scrimmage. And we heard from coaches publicly, uh, Jay Bateman in particular, uh, that he has stepped up as a leader. He's somebody who the room can kind of look to. He's a professional. I think uh, I think Billy Napier also said something to the effect of that last night, that he's a guy who's just game ready all the time. Would you include him in your winners, or is it hard to do that because of his limited action? No, I, I think for sure. I, I think, you know, for me, sort of, I guess the difference between him and, and Jervon Dexter is, is I already kind of count Miller as like, he's a rock, you know, I, you kind of know what you're getting from him already. So yeah, he was absolutely a winner in the spring, but I don't know that my, my perspective changed as sure. much as maybe with Jervon where, you know, he's stepping into that, that mantle of being a third year guy. Uh, he's got a full year of starting under his belt now. Now, right. Can he take the next step? Uh, Ventrell's always been there for me. Um, I, I thought, you know, when he went down last year, that was probably the biggest blow to Florida's defense that didn't get talked about much. Um, but yeah, he's he's absolutely a winner. So, anything else we should uh, we should hit on, Jacob? Parting thoughts on spring ball? Um, I, I it was an exciting spring. Uh, I think it was it was interesting not only to watch the team kind of develop, uh, you know, see the things that we had talked about on the podcast and our practice notes on the board, and then kind of compare them to what we saw over the course of, of a game or a mock game. It was, it was, it was good to see that. Uh, and then I think from a media perspective, it was really interesting and, and kind of a pleasure really to uh, get to talk to and get to know a couple of these staff members and really get to understand the structure that Billy Napier has put into place here at Florida. Um, I, I've, I have been routinely impressed by it. Uh, I really honestly don't have anything negative to say. And, and that's really the truth. I, I, I don't have anything negative to say about 
the way that he has set up this infrastructure within the program. Uh, I really do think that it is a recipe for success. Uh, the alumni involvement that he's encouraged throughout the spring has been impressive. And we saw that yesterday at the spring game. Uh, they've done a good job of getting recruits on campus, uh, you know, generating interest from higher level guys. Uh, I will say though, that my biggest recruiting side takeaway, and we're going to have a podcast where we talk about this more extensively and I'll tease it with this. Uh, they really need a recruit. Uh, they really need a commitment like soon. Yeah. Uh, they, they Fans need are like, yes. Yeah. They, they, they need, they need a commitment soon. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who and at what position and of what rank goes first and how that kickstarts or does not kickstart uh, the rest of the class, but that needs to get rolling. So that's my biggest recruiting side takeaway. And again, we're going to have a podcast on that, which everybody's going to probably want to tune into. Blake Alderman will be on the show as well. And I think Thomas, that's going to come in the next couple of days. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll tentatively shoot for Monday. I don't want to lock that in because I know schedules can be fluid, but uh, yeah, definitely we're going to get Blake on the podcast to talk about recruiting. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, we, we talked about spring game. That's uh, to me, that's half the story from last night. And we're not, yeah. we're not really covering that on this episode. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, look, the Florida job, it's a big job. There's going to be some on-the-job learning. I don't care who you are. I don't care how structured and disciplined you are. Florida is different than Louisiana, and there's going to be some growing pains with that. But I do think, to your point, infrastructure's there, man. Like, it, it's just a matter of tweaking the system to what they're in now. And, and they'll do that, man. I, I think they'll do that. Uh, we'll be able to discuss that, you know, down the road. But yeah, I thought for for a first spring, I thought it was very, very encouraging for Florida. The roster is not going to change overnight, you know, and, and we've talked about it. There's significant depth concerns. But coming out of the spring, we we have it reinforced now that Florida has a quarterback that if he can stay healthy, can win you a lot of ball games, And that's a great place to be going into the offseason rather than, you know, if Anthony Richardson had come out last night and thrown a stinker. Uh, so I, I think Florida fans have a lot to be excited about. We'll certainly talk about it in the coming days and the coming months. Uh, but for now, Jacob, that's going to wrap it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. We hope to shoot on Monday with Blake Alderman. Tentatively, that's the plan. And we'll give you guys a complete recruiting recap as the dust continues to settle this weekend from all the prospects that visited campus. And there were a lot of them. But we'll have a lot to look forward to on Monday after the Easter weekend. But I hope you guys all have a great holiday. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.